Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. This last year has been full of waiting for so many of us. And there's so many different things that we've been waiting for, whether that be something just like COVID ending, whether that be we're waiting for a miracle from God, um, we're waiting for Jesus to heal our hearts of different things, that we've grown bitter from quarantine, from him not showing up or not being what we needed. There's many different things that we're all waiting on. Um, And while I was just reading Psalm 130 and reflecting on it, one thing that I came across is, well, what is waiting? And this is kind of how I've defined waiting from Psalm 130. See, waiting is the space in our lives between the reality of where we are and the desire of where we want to be. That we've been living in this season of, okay, I know what life before quarantine looked like. I know what life before 2020 looked like. I had a stable job. My family was perfect. We all got along. I felt like I knew what I wanted in life. But now I'm stuck in this in-between phase and I don't know what's going to happen after. I have ideas of what everything's going to look like, but I'm not there yet and I don't know how to get there. And a lot of times the reason waiting is so awful is because there's nothing you can do. You just expect it to sit there and it feels like this black hole. And as we've been talking about this series of the Psalm of Ascent, that we're rising out of this dark pit onto a hill to experience Jesus and see him in a new way. So for many of us, these last two years have felt as though we've been abandoned in the depths of a pit. See, we oftentimes, while feeling like we've been waiting, feel as though God has abandoned us and that he's left us on our own. We feel as though he hasn't been present in this last year because we haven't been able to see him or our circumstances in our life don't look like he's been present. What we're going through right now and as we take a look at our past two years, some of us can reflect and say, well, that was a crappy two years, or I did not see God show up at all. There is something just so awful about it. And that's the reason that we're gonna be talking about Psalm 130 today, is just walking through what do we do now that we're exiting the season of waiting for some of it feels like, but nothing's changed in our life. So today, we are gonna be reflecting on that and also seeing how Jesus redeems that season of waiting by inviting us into a life with him. That we don't have to live in this season of waiting and living in this dark pit, but we get to experience Jesus and he's going to grab us out of that season of waiting and reveal himself to us in a new way. So if you guys have Bibles or your phones, you can open up to Psalm 130 with me and we're just gonna read this together. It says, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Why don't you just pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this time that we have just to bask in the glory of who you are and experience you in a new way. 
So Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this place, Lord, and I ask that you would reveal yourself to us. God, I ask that you would open our eyes to what we are waiting on, where we are waiting for you, Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would just reveal where you've been in this season to us, and that we would just be able to see your love and the life that you're inviting us into. Amen. So as I said before, today we're going to be talking about the season of waiting, and just a little backstory to this passage before we jump into um, what it's talking about is the, this passage was written as a psalm of ascent, and psalms were actually songs that many of the Israelites sang. And this particular one was something that they would sing as they were going on a journey up to Jerusalem, which is where they celebrated many festivals. And these psalms or songs that they sang were reflections of what's been going on in their life. Now the Israelites, if you have read the Old Testament or have heard anything about them, know a lot about waiting and have had experiences of waiting for a very long time. So this psalm was to remind them of what they have gone through so that they could reflect and see what the Lord had done and how he had shown up in their lives. So we're just going to take a road back through the lives of the Israelites and see how they've waited on God. First of all, as many of us know that they were in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years as slaves when they were the promised people of God, that they had been living in slaves. Many of them were killed during that time. Many of them experienced really harsh punishments. Um, and many of them had their children birthed into that situation and their children were ripped out of them. So not only were they in a season of waiting while they were slaves, then they were promised to be taken out of slavery and once they were taken out of slavery, they still had to wait. They went through these 10 different plagues where many of them died during it and different things happened. They had, um, the, they had to mark the blood over their lamb, over their doorsteps, and that's one of the things that God used to be able to move them into the promised land. But they still had all these steps that they had to go through. And then they finally crossed the Red Sea and are on their journey into the promised land and God stops them and makes them wait for 40 years. Now, I can't imagine being an Israelite because I barely survived a month in quarantine. Like, it was the worst month for me. I can't stay home. So I can't imagine, like, knowing something, like, okay, you're going to get out of it, but let's just spend 40 years here in the desert. And they were in the desert where they were constantly having to rely on God to daily supply their food and water for them. It wasn't just abundant and they were walking around, but they were waiting for God to show up. Many of them hadn't heard the voice of God, and they were waiting to see, okay, God, what are we doing? 40 years is a long time, if you were old during that time, you died before you got to the promised land. You lived your whole life waiting for something and never got to see it. So as we reflect on that and we see that, we realize that these Israelites understand what waiting is. And as they sang this song, they were singing what had God brought them through. And I love the way Psalm 130 is written because the first part is them just crying out to God and saying, what they had gone through. So we're going to read one and two again. It says, From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. 
And these first two verses are unlike the rest of the passage because it's just them really being honest with what's happening and saying, God, I'm in a pit and I don't see you and I don't know what's going on. And that was their cry while they were in the wilderness. That was their cry as they were waiting on God. God, from the depths of despair, I'm crying out to you. Do you even hear me? Do you even see me? Do you understand what's going on in my life? So how many of us have felt like that, that we've been in a pit and we've been crying out for God and he hasn't answered us, that we've been feeling as if we've been locked and unseen by God and we're just crying for him to even notice us, that all we see is darkness and we're saying, God, if you could even just give me a glimpse, if you can even give me some kind of promise that this waiting is worth it, that this pain is worth it. And I think that's what the psalmist is really revealing in that passage. And as I said before, let's see where it is. We oftentimes, while in that waiting, feel as though God is absent and has abandoned us in our depths. That while we're at the lowest points in our life, we don't even see God present. We don't even feel him, and we feel as though it's just us. And that's such a lonely place to be in, where other people don't relate to you because they're not there, and it's just you sitting in that pain in your life. But today we're going to walk through this psalm with them, as I said, and we're going to move on to the next two verses where we see that they change the way that they're singing the song, that they're not singing from the depths anymore, but they start to declare how they've seen God and start to believe it. We're going to see how Jesus redeems this waiting in their lives. See, for many of them during this time, we see that Jesus, long term, we read all the Old Testament and we see that he redeemed their situation, that the promised land was given to them after the 40 years, that they had walked through all of this, but for them in the moment, they didn't see it. And that's where we are standing now after the two years that we've experienced, that we've seen what God's done in the last two years, and now we're supposed to reflect on what's happened. And we can sing of what our depths felt like, and now we're bringing ourselves out of it and saying, okay, God, Where have you been present? And if you've been present, what does it look like? So there's two verses that I'm just going to read for us, and they're from Joel 2. And this is just a lot of what the scripture says is when it talks about God saving people from the pits. It said, Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, Look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea and those in the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Now these verses as we read them is God restoring his people, people that had been lost and people that had been taken over by different armies, that God comes in and he redeems their situation by giving back to them what was lost. Though it wasn't what they wanted and they still went through this hardship, the Israelites were still given back what was lost to them and what God had promised to them. So as we read these next couple of verses, I just want you guys to have that picture in your mind and think about what has been lost in these last couple of years for you. What is something that you feel that has, you were supposed to have and you no longer have? And how can we change our mindset to see that Jesus has redeemed that and he's giving back what once was lost? 
So today I'm going to practically be taking us through three ways that we see Jesus redeems our situation. In Psalm 130, after the first part where they talk about the pits, they walk them through three simple steps of how to change your mindset to begin to see that Jesus is inviting you into a new life. So we're going to walk through the three stanzas and see how um, we can change our mindset and see Jesus in our situations. So the first one, if we could pull up verse 3 and 4. Is Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offered forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. So this is followed after they say, from the depths of despair, I call for help. So the first thing for us to be able to walk out of our season of waiting and walk out of that pit and start to walk up the mountain is to express our emotions and invite Christ into our brokenness. Let's see, there it is. By crying out to God and inviting him into our brokenness, we're allowing Jesus to redeem what's been happening in our life. See, a lot of times if we're not honest with how we're feeling, we're not being honest to God with what's been happening. And I think something we've been taught in the church and we've believed over time is that we can't be angry at God and we can't reflect our emotions on him of what we've gone through. But Jesus is inviting us in this moment to cry out to him and tell us our raw emotions, our raw feelings about what's happening. If we can't admit what's going on in our own life and what we've been going through, we'll never admit to Jesus what's actually been going on. And Jesus is saying, I want to see what's behind your closed doors. I want to see your brokenness, but if you don't tell me, you're not allowing me into your heart. See, we know that Jesus already sees and knows everything about that us because that's who he is. But while we're crying out to God and expressing our emotions, we're inviting him into that moment so that he can be in our brokenness. So as we walk through these next three steps, um, we're going to see how this is resembled in The Lion King. Have you guys ever seen The Lion King? Classic movie, yep. Um, I love The Lion King because I, every time I see it, I cry. I feel like it's like the story of Jesus, of like, oh my goodness, this king rising up and like people seeing him. Um, so it's not the story of Jesus, but it's a great movie. And I think movies uh, give us a glimpse of somebody's story. Now, this isn't a true story, of course, The Lion King. But when we watch movies, we're transported into this person's life and we're seeing what happens. And I think expressing our emotions and being invited into brokenness is shown great in The Lion King when Mufasa dies and Simba's right there. I mean, every time I watch it, I'm like bawling my eyes out. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's a lion. I gotta calm down. Um, But as we watch this, we see that um, Simba sees the pain and he yells and he screams and he's upset about what's going on and he says it's not fair and he doesn't understand why the king has to die, why his dad has to be taken, and he wants answers. And he admits that he doesn't have answers and we see him through the movie walking through this, wondering why this happened, denying that it happens, And he finally just admits that he's angry about what's going on. And Simba, when he comes to grasp and expresses it, we see that something breaks inside of him, and he begins to be able to come to grasp with what's happened. And that's what this step is really doing. It's allowing us to be able to admit what's truly going on and vocalize that this is where I'm at. I'm broken. I need you, Jesus, but I can't do anything about it. I'm in a pit, and I need you to get me out of it. So the first way that we see Jesus redeems us, as we said, is we're inviting him into our brokenness by crying out and being raw with our emotions. After we're crying out, the next step of getting out of this pit is declaring who Christ is. 
So we're going to read on, and it said, Yes, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on the Lord. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Now, if this is a song, this is probably like a minute-long song. 30 seconds ago, they were saying how they were in the pits of hell, and they felt like they couldn't get out of it. And 30 seconds later, they go and start declaring who Christ is, that their hope is in him, that they can count on him after just saying that I'm in the pit and where you are. And where is God in this time? And I think this is such a vital step in our journey of getting out of this pit is because instead of turning their eyes down and saying, I just reflected on all my brokenness, they turn their eyes up to Jesus and admit that I need you, Jesus, and if you don't show up, nothing's going to change. And in this moment, they're declaring things that they don't even believe, maybe. Sometimes we don't even believe the different things about Jesus, but when we declare it, we're inviting the power of the Holy Spirit to come transform our hearts so that we would start to believe it. So for those of you that have been struggling with healing, it's stepping out and saying, Jesus, I know that you are a healer. For those of us that feel like God has not been seeing us, it's declaring that, Jesus, you are the God who sees even when I feel unseen. For those of us that have been waiting and feel like he's been absent, it's declaring, Jesus, that you are always present in my situation and you always show up, even when it doesn't feel like that. And the transition between first crying out to God and second coming to grasp with what's happening is super vital because Tim Keller wrote a little article about this and he talked about, in this moment you have two options. After coming to grasp with what's happening, you can either turn to other people that are in the same situation and stay in that loneliness, or you can turn your eyes to Jesus and run towards others. See, in that moment of waiting, in that moment of despair, we could turn and say, I'm just going to sit here because woe is me, and it's easier to sit here than try to get out of it. It's easier to sit in my brokenness and find other people to just talk about my brokenness with than try to get things to change. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to live in brokenness. We're called to walk out of it. And by declaring the different nature of who Christ is, we're allowing him to move in our lives and be ever present in that. And when we look at the Lion King, one of the greatest scenes in this movie is where Simba's walking around, and all of a sudden he finds that old like monkey-looking guy, and his name is Rafiki. Um, and Rafiki starts saying who um, Simba actually is. And Simba doesn't believe any of this during this time. And he says, repeat after me that you are strong, that you are meant to be the king of this land, that you were appointed for a time like this. And Simba has been walking throughout the whole movie feeling as though he is alone, that nobody believes in him, and there's no way that this kingdom could be saved. But when Rafiki tells him these different things, Simba starts to be confident and be able to be rest assured in the role that he's supposed to have because someone spoke truth over him and because the truth of who he was was spoken. He didn't allow the lies of society. He didn't allow the lies that he had believed to drown him out. And that's something I want to challenge you guys with today. What are the lies that you've allowed other people to believe with you? Whether that be that your situation is too hopeless, that God could never show up, that you're too broken and a mess that he doesn't want you, or that it's easier just to be kicked to the side and not use your voice because your voice is not strong enough. That Jesus is saying, know that I have empowered you, that I've given you gifts, and that you can use your voice, and when you use your voice and declare who Christ is, that he promises to show up. 
So first, as we said, to get out of the pit, the first step is that we're crying and we're admitting our emotions to Christ. Then we're walking through and we're declaring who Christ is, that the psalmist starts to declare things that he doesn't even believe, but starts to believe as he walks through this journey. And the last thing that we're going to see, this mic is giving weird noises, is that we're living in the hope of Christ's redeeming love. Now, the scary thing about this step is that there's nothing we can do. And I think when we're in these seasons of waiting and we're in these seasons of wondering, we just want to do, do, do. The question we always ask, like, if you looked at the news, it's like, what can I do to help Afghanistan? I'm sitting here and I can't do anything. What can I do to help Haiti? Well, you could send money, you can pray, and we're trying to do anything we can to change circumstances because that's what we desire, right? We desire to be in control, as we talked about before. We desire to be able to change anything. But this step is vital because it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. That the first two steps was allowing yourself to admit that you need Jesus and invite him in. And this last step is allowing Jesus to transform you from the inside out. Now that you've invited him into your brokenness, you've admitted where you are, now that you've declared who Christ is, where you feel like he's not in your life and lacking, and declaring truth over it instead, you're able to rest in the love of who Christ is. See, if we miss this step, we're relying on our human predicament and our own situations than the grace of God, and we're not believing if we miss this, that Christ, Christ is bigger than our situation. So I'm going to read the last couple of verses of Psalm 130. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. See, it doesn't say that we can redeem ourselves from our brokenness, or if we try really hard, we can build ourselves back up again and dig our way or climb our way out of that pit. It's saying, no, the only person that can redeem your situation is Christ himself, and that there's nothing we can do but rest in the love of Christ, sit in the presence of God, and wait as he shows up. And as we see that, we realize that Christ has been present in our waiting in every step. And we just took a journey through that mountain out of that pit. We started in the pit and saw, this is where I am. This is the darkness of where I am. To get out of it, I'm first declaring my emotions to Christ of what I feel. Then I'm going to declare who he is. And now I'm just going to rest in his love at the top of the mountain as I sit. And for the Israelites, these last couple of verses would have been declared as they would have arrived to Jerusalem, where they were about to celebrate festivals. And as they sang this, they were believing, God, you are the only one that got me out of these situations, and all I can do is sit in your presence and believe that you are going to redeem me. So as we read the story of waiting throughout Scripture, there's one passage that always jumps out out of me, and this is something that I've just been focusing on, and I want to read it to you guys. So in Numbers 27, um, the Israelites have just arrived to the promised land after their 40 years of waiting. And as they got there, Moses, who was their leader, who had been walking them through, is unable to enter the promised land. Now Moses' whole life had been built on this calling and had been living in so much waiting to enter the promised land and be the man to bring the Israelites into freedom and into the promised land. But he's unable to. And one of the things I want to talk about is what we do in our waiting drastically changes what happens after our waiting. I think a lot of times we can believe 
whatever I do in the waiting, I'm just going to get by and I just want to survive. And at the end, I'll figure it out. Once I get out of whatever the sticky situation I'm in, it'll all figure itself out. But Numbers 27 is an eye-opener to us that our outcomes are drastically changed by what we do in our waiting. So for those of you that remember, Moses um, would, had been praying and intervening for the Israelites with God. And one time he was talking to the Israelites, and they were really thirsty. And then he said, we want water. So Moses went up to God, and he said, okay, God, it's time to bring them water. They need it. And God would daily supply them with their water. And they were in the middle of the desert. And God said, just wait on me and trust me, and I will give them water. There's no need to rush. But Moses got stuck in that moment, and the Israelites kept complaining, and he was just fed up, and he was done waiting. So he took his staff, and he striked a rock, and water still poured out. Now, for many of us, for me, while I'm reading it even, it's a little contradicting when we read it because we're like, okay, if he wasn't supposed to do that, God was proving a point. Why did water still come out of the rock? Like, wouldn't God just make him look like a fool if he striked it and no water came out? But the thing in that situation is the blessing of the water still came. And Moses still gave water to the Israelites, but that's not how God intended it to be. That's not how Moses was supposed to be obedient to God in the season of waiting. And because of that, that's where we pick up in Numbers 27, is that Moses was punished for how he reflected in his waiting. It says, One day the Lord said to Moses, Climb one of the mountains east of the river and look out over the land I have given the people of Israel. After you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron, for you both rebelled against my instructions in the wilderness of Zin. When the people of Israel rebelled, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to them at the waters. These were the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord replied, Take Joshua, son of Nun, who was the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eleazar, the priest before the whole community, and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him, so the whole community of Israel will obey him. So when we read those verses, I just can't imagine being Moses in that moment and I've been waiting my whole life and being built to bring these people of Israel and not being able to do it. And for him, I wonder if the whole time he was like, okay, I was disobedient, but maybe something will change. I have like 37 more years to prove it. Like, could something change the wilderness? But Moses was still disciplined and couldn't go into the promised land because of how he walked in his season of waiting. So as we read this, we see that Joshua was obedient in his season of waiting and that he trusted God with his situation and was a man after God's own heart, that he continued to be faithful to God and trust in him and surrender. He cried out to God. He still declared who Christ is as he walked through the wilderness and he rested that there's nothing I can do but rest in the love of Christ. Whereas Moses in that situation decided to not do that and take situations into his own hands, and give in. So my question for you is, are you going to be Moses in your season of waiting and grow impatient with your situation and do anything to change it? Or will you be Joshua and be faithful in your season of waiting, trusting that God will show up and walk you through the brokenness? 
as we finish this up, if the worship team just wants to come up. So for many of us, we're left here going into September of 2021 asking the question, well, God, where have you been? So my challenge to you is what are you waiting for in this season? What are you waiting God to show up in? Whether that be your family, whether that be your heart, whether that be your job. There's been so many people that have been unemployed with that. Whether that be what you're just going through in this situation right now. What are you waiting for and where do you need Christ to redeem his love for you and show his redeeming love to you? And I just want to challenge you guys to be Joshua's in this season and change your mindset from how do I get out of this season of waiting to how do I invite the Holy Spirit to walk me through this season of waiting. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.